a very well-known book that's been very popular over the years called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And uh, fundamentally, it's a, it's, a, it's a good book. He has a few principles. He has a few principles that uh, uh, might be a little bit overdone, but uh, overall it's very good. And I remember one of the things he said in one of his chapters there, he was, he was discussing the issue of, of paying the price. Now I said, if you walk across a stream on a log and you meet a skunk about halfway across the log, he said, you can kick him off in the water, can't you? But is the price going to be worth it? Now I often think of this when it comes to people who are having difficulties and problems. And I've often said this, one of the wisest things you can do anytime you're having a problem of any kind is to sit down, write out the pros and the cons. What's the pluses and what's the minuses? And then you can sit down and evaluate it and decide what course of action to take, if any, you should, you should uh, endeavor to pursue. Now, what I'm going to cover today is the pros and cons of God's way of life. Because the problem with most people today is they don't even think that deep. They don't know enough about God to begin with. And they never take into consideration the pros and the cons. Now let's uh, let's start out with a pro. I'll give you a pro and then I'll follow it up with a con. I'll start out with a plus and then I'll follow with a negative. First of all, one of the great pros of God's way of life is the blessings and the good things that we receive from God. Now there are many many scriptures and texts. In fact, I probably could take any one of these. Uh, uh, subjects here and then make a sermon or a near sermon out of it but I'm trying to condense this into one sermon so I'm just going to hit some some appropriate scriptures for each category here so let's consider first of all on the pro side the blessings and the good things we get from God notice for example Psalm 84 and verse number 11 the Lord God is a sun and a shield the Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing if you walk uprightly. Now keep in mind a lot of things that we evaluate at a given moment of time. We may think it's a good thing, but it really isn't that important in the long run. So let's, uh, let's keep in mind we're thinking of really important things as God views them, the good things that God views, not necessarily what we might think is good because sometimes what we think that, may, we may, that is good may not be good. And in um, Isaiah 3 and verse number 10, let's uh, turn over there and notice this text here. Isaiah 3 and verse number 10. Say to the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. So they're going to benefit and get good things from the things that they do. And uh, in Ephesians 3.20, from what Paul says here in the New Testament, and keep in mind, I'm just... Just covering some appropriate scriptures here. If a person wanted to go into it in much greater detail, you could. Ephesians 3, verse number 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask him, we ask or think 
according to the power that works in us. He's able to do far more than what we even ask or think. So those are certainly blessings and good things that come from God. Sometimes we'll be praying and we'll ask, we'll be asking for God's benefits and his blessings and his help one way or the other, and sometimes we're quite, su quite surprised at what we receive. Now what's on the negative side? Well, let's notice. Psalm 119, we're, we're talking about blessings that people receive. Now let's look at some curses here. And it's rather interesting because if you look up the meaning of the word curse, it means a prediction. It doesn't necessarily mean that God is actually placing something on you directly intervening, but he has a law set in motion. And uh, when you do these things that are contrary, it, the, the, the curses are predictions of what's going to befall you. It's inevitable. Psalm 119, verse 21. You rebuke the proud who are cursed, who stray from your commandments. They're under rebuke. They're not going to be blessed, in other words. And then in Jeremiah 17 and verse number 5, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his, his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. Now, how many people are like that today? Who, um, who put their confidence in the capabilities and the intellect and uh, whatever is involved in what men can offer them. That's where their whole lives are wrapped, that's what their lives are wrapped up in. What does it say here? Cursed is the man who trusts in man. You put him above God, you're, you're, you're a, the prediction of something bad befalling you is inevitable. And Psalm 37, 22. Psalm 37, 22. We read in this text, Those blessed by him shall inherit the earth. And that would certainly follow the positive side, but what I want to emphasize is the, is the negative or the con part here. But those cursed of him shall be cut off. Cut off. So you see you have good things and you have bad things that happen. Good things that happen when we make God uh, our, our primary interest in life and bad things when we don't. Now another one of the benefits of God, the pros of God or the positive of God is the fact that he strengthens us, he builds us up, he helps us, he comforts us. Let's notice Psalm 27 verse number 14. Psalm 27, verse 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. What this is really saying is we must have an exercise of faith involved in our living. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. He'll strengthen you. Now, I don't know if any of you have had experiences like this. I know I certainly have. Or I prayed to God to help me in a certain problem, and I couldn't. I could not believe the results just after I, I finished praying. Now you know there's a there's a there's a thing we need to realize about God's spirit. The Bible talks about that we receive a portion of God's spirit, and it talks about giving us power. 
But what if God gave us all the spirit we really would want to have? He's not going to do that. Why? We have to build character. So we have this nature we have to push against and fight against constantly. We just get enough to make it over the edge because it's a whole process of building character. If he gave us all the spirit that he gave Jesus Christ who very obviously had the fullness of the spirit from birth. Sure, Christ had the pulls of the nature of his human nature, but he never once sinned. So there's a big difference in the amount that we receive and that requires an exercise of character and determination on our part and the help to make it over the top. Acts 20, verse number 32. Here's what Paul wrote in verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and by the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, to build you up, and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. You can be built up. But that requires uh, an attention on your part to God's word and to study and to prayer. So that's certainly the, the two of the good uh, examples we have. Let's notice one more in uh, 2 Corinthians 7. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse number 6. We read... Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast? He comforts the downcast. Are we ever downcast? Why does the Bible say it is by much tribulation that you will enter the kingdom of God? Much tribulation. That's because the whole character building process requires that. And if you don't have something you have to overcome and struggle against, you're not one of God's candidates for his kingdom. And that's why it tells us here that we can be comforted, we can be benefited and blessed because he comforts the downcast. That's one of the benefits of God, isn't it? Now, what is the comparable or let's say the opposite? Well, let's notice Romans 1.18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. You see, we find, as I've already pointed out, there's a blessing and a difference that comes between obedience and, and uh, accepting God's way and endeavoring to live it as opposed to someone who doesn't. And someone who doesn't falls in this category here. He's not strengthened and built up. Rather, it says here in Romans 1, 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Now, you can be in an active organization and suppress the truth. That's what's being done in this country all over the place nowadays with political correctness. But you can also suppress the truth in your own heart and mind by re refusing to face up to it and evading the reality of it. I was struck by the comment that Ann Rand said a number of years ago, not that I'm necessarily one of her fans, but she had a very good statement here. She said, you may evade reality, but you will not evade the consequences of evading reality. It will catch up with you. And so when people live this kind of a lifestyle, are they going to be comforted and strengthened and built up? 
when they're under God's wrath? Here's what Jesus, uh, this is what is actually quoted in the Gospels here right at the very start. Because, uh, John is, is mentioning this here. John 3, verse number 36. Well, actually, Christ is, is the one who made this statement. And he said, Who believes in the Son has everlasting life. There's a lot more that needs to be explained regarding that, but he's on that right path. But then it goes on to say, And he who does not believe the Son, that is, he doesn't accept him and his teaching and his way and what God requires of it, shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. The wrath of God. And in Romans 2, verses 8 and 9, Romans 2, verses 8 and 9, we read, To those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth. You know what causes people so many of the times not to obey God? They do things that are absolutely contrary and they, that they know what the Bible says. They do it contrary. Do it in a contrary manner. Why? They're self-seeking. Their desires and what they want to do take precedence over everything. So those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, so you're going to do one or the other. You're either going to obey the truth or you're going to obey unrighteousness. Indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man who does evil. That's right. Are you going to get any comfort and God to lift you up and strengthen you in those conditions? I doubt it. Now, there's another benefit and blessing that we receive from God, and that is he forgives. I was absolutely struck by a book that I read back in the 1960s by James Burnham, the late Dr. Burnham, who was a college professor at, uh, I think, either New York or New York University or Columbia. And he pointed out what makes a person a liberal. Why are they liberal in their thinking? And in addition to that, why are they the ones that are always involved in these social programs and do-gooder things where they're always trying to go out and do good and do something, accomplish something? Which in reality doesn't really solve the problem, but they think they're doing something good. Why do they do that? He said it's very simple. They reject God. They have no use for God. They cannot have a relationship so they can receive forgiveness of God. And so this is their form of penance. That's what all their programs are, penance. They're going to make up for it somehow because they're not in a right relationship with God. Well, only God can forgive. And I can tell you, if you don't receive forgiveness of God, you'll be suffering anguish too. Anybody here not sinful so that you don't need forgiveness? That's why you read in Proverbs 28, verse number 13. He who covers his sin shall not prosper. You want to hide it? And you're not going to let it be known and you don't even admit it to God? Shall not prosper. 
But he who confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. That's the difference between men and God. Men can't give you that. Psalm 32, verse number 5. Here's just one example out of the Psalms, out of many, many examples, but I think this is, will certainly suffice as to illustrating the point. This is in Psalm 32 and verse number 5. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's right. Only God can do that. Now, what happens if you will not accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah and the one who is seated at the right hand of God the Father and the one who does have the power to forgive? Well, let's notice John 5.24. See, this is the negative side now. We've seen the pro, now let's see the con. We've seen the plus, now let's see the minus. John 5, verse number 24. Most assuredly, I say to you that he who hears my word and believes on him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment. Now, you could say that's one of the positive aspects, but I want to use it negatively here because what happens if you decide that you're not going to hear Christ's word and you're not going to accept him? Are you going to come into judgment? When you come up, when you know, sooner or later, I mean, it's inevitable for every single human being. There are two things that are absolutely certain. We've all heard it, well, you have to die and pay taxes. Well, the first part is true, all right. You have to die. That is an absolute inevitability for every human being. What's the second one? The judgment. You will stand before the judgment. Now, when that day comes and we have people up there who have uh, paid no attention to God, do you think he's going to hear them at that time? I can tell you now is the time to pay attention to God. So you see, he goes, he passes into death, not life. So that's the consequences of consequence of not receiving forgiveness. And in Romans 8, verse number 1. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So there's a big difference, isn't there? One receives forgiveness and the other receives condemnation. John 3, verse 19. This is the condemnation. And this is what's happened to the world. A lot of you folks uh, aren't old enough probably to remember this. Some of you are, but I can tell you, would you have thought back 50 or 60 years ago the world was going to be in the condition it is now? I was reading an article in the paper. I think it was either yesterday. It might have been this morning. If you read uh, this uh, 
southpaw rag we have here in Eugene I refer to as the Register Guard, more likely the Red Guard. They had an article in there about what's happening over in Bend. Now you'd think over there Bend would be a conservative community, and it was for many, many years. But what's happened there? What's happened there is the same thing that's happening all over the country. People, all kinds of people are moving around, new people are coming in, and the demographics are changing. So now what's going on in Bend? The city council, council just passed an all-gay rights law. Can you, would you believe that? Ten years ago? This is what's happening. It's just unbelievable what's taking place. This is a condemnation. That light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They don't want to hear it. So that's the condemnation. One's forgiveness and the other is condemnation. That's a positive and that's a negative. Now, let's look at this positive. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Can you actually tell where the Holy Spirit is working in you? You ought to be able to. And that doesn't mean you're not going to have problems and you're not going to have the pull of human nature. You will. We all got a good dose of it. But you ought to be able to tell. And I can tell you, if you'd look back on the way you used to be and compare yourself to the way you are now, is there a difference? There better be. Notice this interesting statement about the Holy Spirit. This is in Luke 11 and verse number 11. This is a positive now. This is a pro. Luke 11 and verse number 11. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Yeah, you bet. He's willing to give it. It is a gift. We need to ask for it. We're only we're going to receive a measure because Paul referred to it as the daily amount that he needed and received. You let that slide by and you go a few days without it and then you examine yourself and see how you feel. And this Holy Spirit, of course, spoken of in Paul's epistles, particularly here in 2 Corinthians 5, and verse number 5 states this. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Or as it is in the authorized version, in earnest. Now I think any of you folks that ever bought property... You know what I'm talking about. You uh, sign a purchase agreement with a real estate agent. You have to put down some earnest money. 
used to be, I remember when I bought my home back in the 70s, it was, I think, $500. Now I think it's more, it's probably 1000 now at least, maybe more. You have to put down $1,000 earnest money. Why? Because that convinces, you know, legal, you know, from a legal sense, that convinces the, uh, the seller that you're sincere in your desire to purchase a property. It's only a small down payment. That doesn't purchase a property, but that gets you in the door. So this is what God gives us, the earnest of the spirit. That's what we have. Small down payment. Now, do the wicked have that? Well, before I answer that, let's read what we see here in Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2 and verse 20. This is one of the outstanding scriptures in the whole Bible. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. So what's taken place is there's been a change in his mind where his whole thinking, his whole deportment, his whole attitude, his whole aim and goal in life, everything is now changed. And he's not living for Paul. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's Jesus Christ dwelling in you by means of his Holy Spirit. It affects your mind. It affects your thinking. That's the blessing of receiving the Holy Spirit. And of course, as we know, it enables us to overcome the pulls of the flesh. Um, we'll, we, can, we can look at that a little bit more later on here. But let's notice here uh, what, what the opposite of this is. You don't have the gift of the Holy Spirit to free you from the pull of sin. What does it mean? It means you're enslaved by it. You are virtually enslaved by it. I don't know how many people I've known. You probably have too. They are a virtual slave to cigarettes. It has such a pull on them that they, they would absolutely go stark raving mad if they didn't have a cigarette every so often. One woman told me that she, she quit cold turkey and she said she was in such shape for the first week she just felt like just pounding her head against the wall. But she was determined to overcome it, and she did. But a lot of authorities will tell you it's more difficult to break the habit of cigarette smoking than it is even certain drugs. It's a dirty, nasty habit. And I don't know how you folks are, but if I even smell cigarette smoke around anywhere, I get away from it immediately. I don't even want to be near it. I was in a troop ship one time, in a big bay down there, and all these soldiers were down there playing cards and smoking cigarettes. You couldn't see 10 feet in front of you. I sat there playing cards for a while with a friend of mine. I just kept hacking and coughing. I said, let's get out of here. I can't take this. And yet those people just breathe that poison in. Is it an enslavement? You bet it is. But that's only one aspect of this human life. We can be enslaved to any number of things. And uh, here's what uh, Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 19. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. 
For just as you yielded your members as slaves to uncleanness, mentally, spiritually, and of lawlessness, which is, of course, walking contrary to God's law, leading to more lawlessness. They had a TV special on the other day. I'd seen it a number of years ago, but I thought I'd just watch it again because I'd forgotten about and it was about the Marquis de Sade. You've all heard of him. If there was ever a man who was an absolute profligate and virtually enslaved to his sex drive, it was the Marquis de Sade. Absolutely unbelievable. And yet, even with that, he lived to age 74. With his, how many, with a 13-year-old woman that was his present quote unquote wife you couldn't you couldn't believe I've never read any of Saad's works and I don't intend to but they're still popular today the father of modern day masochism so it just shows you how people can be enslaved anything as he says here leading to lawlessness and more lawlessness so that's being enslaved to the pulls of the flesh all these inordinate desires and things that we want to do that are contrary to God's law. How would you know right from wrong if you didn't have a standard to tell you what right and wrong is? And that standard is God's commandments. Now, does the world believe that today? No, they believe in um, whatever is truth to you, that's, that's what truth is. There's no such thing as a, as a standard of, of a permanent standard of righteousness. It's changeable with the times. And as you youngsters grow older, you'll find that out and you'll learn that when you start dealing with people. Proverbs 5, verse number 22. Well, let's notice verse 20 here before I leave here. For when you were slaves to sin. That's all the pulls of the flesh, isn't it? Slaves to it. And... Uh, Let's notice here, Proverbs 5 then, verse number 22. Proverbs 5, verse number 22. Here it's talking about a wicked man. And we read in verse 21, The ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. He ponders all his paths. We're being judged right now. When we stand up in front of the God for the final judgment, our judgment's already been decided. That's based on what we do now. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man, snared by his own iniquities. And he is caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. Yeah, that's enslavement to sin, isn't it? That's why Jesus said here in John 8, verse number 34, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And I didn't check to see the Greek tense here on this word commit because um, 
I don't know whether it's aorist or whether it's a, a present tense, meaning something that's habitually done, but we do know from, from John's epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, when he mentions sin, it's talking about somebody who habitually practices sin, not someone who slips and is repentant and sorry for it. All right, we've got a few more things to look at here now. We're looking at the pros and we're looking at the cons. The pro here is the gift of the Holy Spirit and the, pro, the, the con is the enslavement to sin without that spirit. Now, let's look at health and compare it with disease. You know, um, we're sort of getting down toward the tail end of this human experience on this earth as far as man's concerned. And um, I don't know if we can ever get any really healthy food as one as it once existed. We try to do the best we can. We get organic food, and uh, we, we 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 hopefully try to eat wholesome meals. And uh, that would certainly mean getting rid of white bread and white flour and white sugar and that kind of stuff. But when uh, our forefathers started across this country. They didn't want to be confined to the Atlantic seaboard. They started expanding. And some of the great men who were responsible for the establishment of our societies moving westward were men like Daniel Boone, Simon Kenton, even later ones. But the people who farmed there, as they drove the Indians back further out of there, and the vicious fighting that went on there for Many, many years was bloodthirsty and very terrible. But the Indians were finally driven back. And I can tell you, I don't have the least bit of qualms and guilt about feeding sorry about that. Because if you knew what most of those Indians were like, you'd shake your hands. They were nothing more than heathen savages. And people stand up and get all hot under the collar of that are absolutely ignorant of the historical facts. They'd virtually skin people alive gouge out their eyes, cut off their nose, cut out their tongues, cut their ears off, and then torture them for three or four days straight before they'd finally die. Common practice. One thing about the Eastern Indians, they didn't practice raping. They didn't do that. But if they got a captive and they got hungry, they'd rather eat him. But I can tell you, those men set the, set the stage for the future, and the farmers, as they came west, would farm until the land was used up, didn't produce any more, then they'd move further west and, and uh, farm some more. They, they used the land up that way. So can you get any really wholesome land anymore that isn't chemicalized and virtually ruined? And if that's the case, where can you get really good wholesome food? So when you look at that, you can ask the question, you know, well, we shouldn't even have to ask a question. Why are we in the physical shape we're in today? It should be obvious. And then if you eat all this junk food, this fast food stuff that goes along with it, you're, you're really in trouble later on. You may get away with it for 20 years or so, but I can guarantee you when you get middle age and you start getting up, you will see the big difference. And don't think you won't. Now, you find uh, back here, you know, there are a number of health laws in the Bible. I'm not going to take the time to go into those today. But let's notice Exodus 15 and verse number 26.
And I don't mean to say by the remarks I made about the Indians is that, they, that there were not some whites that were just as bad. But not on the whole scale manner that was done by the Indians. There would be individual cases of some white men that were pretty atrocious. But the large scale atrocities by the Indians are unparalleled. Any respect, though, notice what we read here. Exodus 15, 26. If you will diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight. Now let's stop and consider that a moment. Is that all inclusive? Does that include everything that God gives in his word? Of course it does. So when we hold back on things or we disobey things or we decide we're not going to do those things or are we reason our way around it, are we going to be blessed? Here's what he says. If you will diligently do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the God who heals you. I remember years ago, I, I checked a lot of books out from the library on paleo, paleopathology. And what that subject was about was the study of mummies and uh, fossil remains and things of that nature for the purpose of determining what diseases they had. And those authors in that book pointed out that every single modern disease we have today was among the Egyptians. Every one of them. Tooth decay, you name it. And I can tell you this. You look at the condition of America today and its health, the health problems that we have in America today, and I think if I remember when I did that work on healing and medicine, that there are 5,000 diseases in the world today and only half of them are curable. I'm just remembering that as a round figure. It might be 4,000, but it's four, between four and 5,000 diseases and only half of them are curable. One half of them are incurable. The diseases of Egypt. Now, what's the condition here? If you will do what's right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. Now, there were people who say, well, that's Old Testament teaching. That doesn't apply today. Oh, you mean Jesus didn't mean anything when he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God? Who was the God who gave these commandments? None other than Jesus Christ, the one who became Jesus Christ. This lame excuse you hear about picking and choosing what suits yourself and not living by every word of God is not going to fly in the judgment. Now, I've given you a number of benefits that God shows that come about as a result of obeying him. And I can tell you this. There's nothing like a clear conscience and peace of mind. If you have something troubling you down deep inside and your conscience is bothering you, you've got a guilt complex. Are you going to be a happy man? Or a woman? Notice what we read here in Proverbs 17 and verse number 22. A merry heart does good like a medicine. That's right. It is a fact that a great number of our diseases a day are stress-caused and they're 
they're caused by a psychosomatic relationship. And if your trouble is down deep inside and you're stressed, you're likely to see what happens. What the main thing that happens under stress is it, it, it tears down your immune system. And then when your immune system is weakened, then what happens? That's why there's no substitute for peace of mind and having happiness in a right relationship with God. A merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. And Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. That's right. It's like God said back there in Exodus 15, 26, didn't he? You want good health and blessings? Obey God. Now, what's, what's the negative side? It's disease, isn't it? Notice what we read here in Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28, in verse number 15. It shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Oh, notice these next words. To observe carefully all his commandments. To observe carefully. And his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you. Now, I'm not going to read all of these. I just want to read the ones that have to do with health. So go up to verse number 27. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt, with tumors, with the scab, and with the itch from which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart, and you shall grope in the noonday as a blind man gropes in darkness. That's the curses that come from disobedience to God. Think about it. You know, um, you read in the New Testament. In fact, uh, let's notice here in Isaiah 53, because this is a very important issue that comes up. And I, don't, I, don't, I don't think most people really understand, understand this fully. I won't say that I understand it fully, completely, as any of us should. But as we read here in Isaiah 53 and verse number 5, Smitten by God and afflicted, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes were healed. So here comes divine healing in the picture. And this is why Paul said here, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse number 30. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse number 30, he said... Because, you see, you take this cup in an unworthy manner, this bread and this cup in an unworthy manner, that is the Passover. He who drinks, eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. That is, the Greek here seems to mean the cost or price that was paid for it. The cost and the price. That's, that's the meaning of the Greek word there. For this reason... Many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. That is, they've died. 
So those are some of the things we need to realize, the blessings and the cursings, the pros and the cons about good health. Now let's look probably at the most important one of all, the last one, eternal life. That's the pro. That's the positive. What's the con? What's the negative? Eternal death. Notice uh, what Jesus said here in John 4, verse number 14. John 4, verse 14. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him. And of course, the water is a symbol of God's Holy Spirit. He said it would be poured out. He said it was like the rivers of living water. Whoever drinks of this water that I shall give him will never thirst. This is spiritually speaking. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. That's the pro, isn't it? And in Romans 2, Romans 2, verses 6 and 7, You see, God is going to render to each man according to his, to his works. What's the pro? Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in well-doing. Patient continuance. You know what? When you're called to a knowledge of the truth, you're in it for the long haul. It isn't a short thing. It's a life, lifelong endeavor who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. That's the pro. And in Romans 6, verse number 23, I'm only going to read the last part of this verse because the first part I'm going to come back to in a moment. Romans 6 and verse number 23. The gift of God is eternal life. That's the pro. That's the benefit. What's the con? What's the negative? Well, I won't turn to it, but um, it's found twice in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 18.20 is probably the briefest one. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The word soul just means the human being, the life, the nephesh, going to die. But you see, it's going to die twice. That's why the Bible calls it the second death. So sin is going to lead to death. And in 1 Corinthians 6, I thought I'd mention, save this for the last here, because here's a good example of what we see in the world today. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the con. That's the negative. Do not be deceived, fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will enter the kingdom of God. Pretty well lays it out, doesn't it? That's why I read a few minutes ago 
in Romans 6, verse number 23, the first part of this verse. For the wages of sin is death. That's all we earn by it. So the benefit, the great benefit, is eternal life in God's kingdom, but the curse is eternal death. So you see, when you stop and consider the pros and cons of God's way of life, it shouldn't be difficult for any of us to see what choice we ought to make. This one, I think, is very, very obvious to understand. We might have a little more difficulty at times if we're trying to understand the best course of action to take in some kind of a problem. But I can tell you the big problem in this physical life is remaining faithful and loyal to God and being in it for the long haul. Yes. 